this time of year is very interesting, and as we get closer to Christmas, um, a lot of emotions are stirred up, aren't they? Uh, for some people, this is the greatest season ever. They're like, this is the best. I love it. For others, they're so busy, they're indifferent to anything happening. And it's just like, it's just, I got to get through it. And then there's some that are dealing with a lot of hardship, loss, things that have gone on in their life, loneliness that's taking place. And so what can happen is a lot of emotions can be stirred up during this time. As I was thinking through that idea of emotions and being stirred up, uh, one emotion kind of came up that where we're landing today is fear. Fear is a crazy emotion, and it has a lot of interesting qualities to it, but Dr. Paul Ekman, uh, he's a man who uh, has studied emotions his entire life. Uh, He is the one who helped create the show Lie to Me, if you're familiar with that show, and he defines fear in this way. Fear is one of the seven universal emotions experienced by everyone around the world. Fear arises with a threat of harm, either physical, emotional, psychological, real, or imagined. While traditionally considered a negative emotion, fear actually serves an important role in keeping us safe as it immobilizes us to cope with potential danger. So if you think about fear, fear at its core is meant to protect us from harm. Now, um, when I was a, a younger man, I did a lot of mountaineering and I climbed a lot of mountains. One of my goals was climb a 14,000 foot mountain every year. That was kind of the goal. And I started chipping away on it. And a couple I did multiple times. So I've been up to Mount Whitney and I've done that a couple of times. Took my oldest son with me. It was fantastic. And then across the way, across this giant valley is another mountain. And it's called Mount Russell. Mount Russell is called a razor edge mountain. And if you don't know what that means, just break what I just said down because it's exactly what it is. It is uh, granite that is shoved together to a high peak and it's a razor edge. At some points, you're only able to walk on about two and a half, three feet of distance. And you're walking on the top of a mountain all the way up to the peak. And you say, well, that's not a big deal until you realize that there is 1,500 feet on either side of you and you are completely exposed to everything. There's nothing to grab. There's nothing to hold. So when my friends and I went up there, we thought, this will be great. We, we've been up here a bunch of times. We'll just knock this one out, put it in the bag. We're all good. Didn't bring harnesses, didn't bring ropes, didn't bring our intelligence. And so we got up the mountain and realize quickly that this isn't working. It's just getting narrower and narrower. And I remember there's one point where we had to like hang our bodies off the side and kind of skate around. And I'm like, my body just said, you're done, man. And it just stopped. I had never experienced that, but my body just said, you're no longer doing this. I was so afraid. I said, you know what? I like being married. I like my kids. I think I'm gonna continue doing that. And so we all left not going to that mountain. And so in that moment, that fear protected me. But fear can do some other stuff too, right? Fear can also be bad. We know it can be harmful. It can keep us from doing things that we enjoy, things that would be beneficial for us, things that would be beneficial for other people as well. And fear can be that thing that stops us from doing what we need to do or want to do. Last week, we saw that Peter and John, two men who were very afraid before, but then filled by the Holy Spirit, were no longer afraid where we probably would have been afraid as they stood before a hundred plus men with power and authority to inflict harm on them, and they pressed into it full of 
courage, and boldness, the Bible says. They were able to push through their fears of men, their fear of man, and potential harm to do amazing things in the name of Jesus. So this is where we land today. What happens right after this event that we've been looking at for the last three weeks? It kind of culminates in this moment, and then it pours out to next week. We'll see it just pours into all sorts of crazy, amazing things. So if you have your Bibles, what I'd love for you to do is turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 23, and we're going to just kind of chug through there until we get to the end of 31. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. If you want to follow along there, if not, you can just watch on the screen and know that I'm not making stuff up. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported the chief priests and the elders had said to them, And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through your mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon these threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that as we press into fear as we press into what it means to be courageous, what it means to be bold, that you would fill all of us that love and know you, Lord, with that boldness. As we study this word today, I ask that you would communicate a message to the men and women here, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would challenge them, that you would convict them. Holy Spirit, if there's anything that I am about to preach that's not of you, I ask that you just take it off my mind, take it off my notes. I don't want to be a distraction today, but I want to be just a conduit used by you. We love you. We're grateful for you. For these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So here's the scenario. Here's what's going on during this so we can kind of get a picture of what's happening. Uh, it's been about 24 hours. John and Peter have been gone. Everyone, all their buddies are like, hey, they just went to go worship and it's been like a day. Where'd these guys end up? So they come back and they go to their friends, their brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the church. And you know what I love? When something big in your life happens, when something bad in your life happens, when you've gone through something hard, what do you do? You go to the people that you love the most, don't you? You go to the people that you care about that are the most important. And what we see is that the way that they were living in the early church, that there was a deep love and affection for each other, and they were on mission together. They are truly family in this moment where you see them going, like even with their troubles, they run to each other. And so what ends up happening is they tell them everything that happened. They kind of relive the entire event. And then they lift their voices to pray to God. And they do something different than I think that we would expect. It's not what I, so if it was me and my prayer would go something along these lines, Lord, 
Stop these horrible people from doing horrible things to us. Lord, thwart their plans. Lord, protect your church. Lord, keep us from harm. Keep us in safety. That's what I'd be praying. That's that's how I would start the prayer. But that's not what we see happening. They actually do something very different. And it challenged me this week as I looked at things in my life that can be difficult, hard, persecution, Anything that goes on is that they started by praising God for his attributes and his character. So what do they do? First, they say, sovereign Lord. What does that mean? They acknowledge that God is ruler of all, that he has the power to over everything, that nothing happens without going across his, his throne. And this includes persecution and the threat of harm to those that preach his truth. Then it calls him the creator. Well, what's he saying? Not only are you sovereign Lord who rules over all things, you are the one who has designed all things, made all things, created all things, and know how all things work and work best. So they lift him up as being the creator of the universe. Everything that we hear, feel, taste, see, made by him. And then it talks about how he's the one who is the imparter of truth. You're like, well, I don't see that part there. Is it the Holy Spirit spoke through David? He's the imparter of truth. That all truth comes from God. And it's given to men and women from God to proclaim about God. See, they found comfort in knowing God. Knowing the God of strength gives his people strength. It puts the world in the proper perspective that it actually needs to be in, that God is at the top, that God is in control, and the world is actually subject to him. That is the proper order in how things function. And sometimes with fear, what can happen is we invert that, don't we? We think that man or woman or event is more powerful than God, and so we have more fear because we have it upside down. And what we see here is putting things in its proper perspective to know that God is sovereign over all things, that he is creator over all things, and there is truth in what he says. Now, where do they find that information at? Well, I love what it is. It's scripture. And, and I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, but how can we know God if we don't know God, right? How, how can we worship this God if we don't know who he is, that, that the Lord has given us this book, the living word of God, that we would know who he is, to know what he loves, to know what he hates, to know how he views us, to know how he saved us, to show his great love, his great redemptive story through history, This is a love story. This is a love story from God about how he loves his people and has sent his son to come and save them from their own destruction. If you don't read this, how are you going to know that? How are you going to understand who he is when it gets hard, when it gets difficult, when you are afraid? And then what they do is they quote. I love this. They go and they start quoting scripture again. Psalm 2, 1 through 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. This all relates to what happened to Jesus. 
All of this. This passage is actually focused on, if you go and look at it, it's focused on the reign and rule of Jesus and how it would be futile for the entire world to try to defeat the king of the universe and that he is sovereign over all things. That's what it's talking about. In Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to start, uh, I think the slides aren't all there, but I'm going to start in 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That it doesn't matter. There will be no end to the rule of Jesus Christ. That it's not going away. That he won't be defeated by men. So if you wonder who's really at the helm and who's behind the wheel, it's Jesus. Jesus is behind the wheel. And when he talks about the kings and the rulers, they're really talking about Herod and Pilate. When it's talking about the Gentiles, they're talking about those that crucified him. That's where they're going as they're quoting this passage from David. And they're reflecting on what happened to Jesus for coming and speaking truth. They're seeing Jesus as their source of power and the model of how to press into a dark and lost world. And as they do that, they're reminded of the kind of fate that almost certainly awaits them for doing the same. But you see that they get right to it in verse 29. In verse 29, it says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, they understand that there's going to be attacks. They understand that it's going to be difficult. They understand that it's going to be hard. And he says they prayed for boldness. Well, what does that translate? I like how it's translated as I look at it. Boldness is translated this way. The trait of being willing to undertake activities that involve risk or danger, especially that involve being honest and straightforward in attitude and speech. So that's what they're praying. When they say boldness, that's what they're talking about. Living for Jesus will have risk and danger involved with it. The question is, is it worth it because if fear is to keep us from harm why would they press into it because the message is actually worth it they they, they realize that this message is more important than their comfort it's more important than their safety it's more important than everything going well in their life that this message is their salvation in jesus alone that jesus went to the cross and died for them so they could have life and without it they are destined to be separated from god for eternity and they realize that it was bigger than just them it had to do with god's plan to save the world It was the message of their salvation, the message of their forgiveness of sin, the message that brought them back to God, where they were once separate, where they were once distant. God has reconciled that, brought them back together, and without being connected to God, there is no real life, and they understood that. And so they were willing to press into the uncomfortable parts of this world, and they they saw what this message was as they were dealing with life and death. Do you see the message of the gospel as life and death? 
do you look around the world and those that don't know Jesus as there are people that are going to be separated from him for eternity? That you hold the key, that you hold the message that God wants to use through you to communicate that to others. Do you see that? And, and don't miss how and what they're praying for. As they're praying for boldness, it's attached to something. It's not just, hey, we want to be bold in all these things. I want to, I want to be bold in my you know, making dinner. That, that's not what they're talking about. They're not getting there. It's actually connected and attached to something very specific that they would speak God's word. So the boldness that they pray for is that they would be bold in proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's important for us to realize. As we pray for boldness, what are we praying for when we talk about do you pray for boldness in your life? Are you praying that God would make you bold to proclaim the name of Jesus? Or are you praying for boldness in something else? Like, what, what are you praying for when you pray about that? The other thing that should be really important for us to understand is they did not pray against those that persecuted them. That's crazy. They would pray that they would be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ, that they saw that they were once enemies of God, that they once rejected God, and yet this God came down to earth to rescue them while they were enemies. They don't see the enemies as the enemy. They see Satan as the enemy. They see sin as the enemy. And they see these individuals that they're proclaiming to that are going to threaten them, that are going to persecute them, that are going to cause harm to them as people that are desperately lost that need the exact same message. And they are going to take that message to them knowing that it may cause them to die because they may reject that message. But it is worth it. They put their life aside for someone else's life. It almost sounds like something we read about every single week, that Jesus would put aside his life for our life. See, they're living out what it means to be Christ. They, they understand it. Then they start praying for miracles, and this is where everyone gets really uncomfortable. Like, wait, what's going on? They're praying about miracles. Well, just remember, they just saw Peter do this crazy miracle, and then what happened? Thousands of people came to Jesus. Like that's, they're like, we, if, if this is how this works, give us more miracles. Let's see more people come to Jesus. It really wasn't about the miracle because we've already learned that the miracle is pointing to something bigger, isn't it? It's pointing to the spiritual brokenness that we have and that God does miracle by saving dead people and giving them life. So as they're praying, they're, they're really wanting to see more people saved, that these miracles happen, that it would show God's hand on what they're doing, that people would see the power of God moving forward. The miracle was a launch pad for the message. That's really what it was. And it says that they were gathered in this place, and the entire room was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went and spoke about Jesus. Now, I'm going to get to the shaking part at the end. So hold that thought. We'll get there. We'll get to the shaking part. But what I want to do is I want to talk about some observations that I see in this passage. And some observations that I believe that we can apply to our own lives as we move through this life being men and women that do proclaim Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I got nine things I want to say. But I'm going to kind of zip through them-ish. So one... They prayed for boldness. Why did they pray for boldness? 
because they were so bold. They were afraid. Like, hear me. They prayed for boldness because they were actually afraid. You don't pray for boldness. You're like, I got this. You don't, you're not going to be praying for boldness, are you? See, they understood that there was something happening. They understood that they could potentially end up just like Christ and be killed. So there was fear. There's a natural fear to that. And they understood that. So what do they do? They then pray for boldness because they know that they're not going to be able to press through it in their own power, in their own ability. They're going to need something greater to do that. Mark Twain said this. You're like, you're quoting Mark Twain? I'm quoting Mark Twain. Here we go. It's always a mixed bag when you quote Mark Twain, right? You're like, that might be heresy. So (laughs) courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. See, the fear's there. The threat's there. But there is something bigger that allows us to move through that. See, fear will control you if you allow it. See, they they were strengthened, number two, they were strengthened in and by the character and attributes of God. And here's why this is really important. I don't know, I'm still new here. Everyone, I'm, I'm learning people and where they come from and we all have fears and people have anxieties and they have all these things that are going on in their life that keep them from doing what they want to do in life, that they can't be who they want to be. And so understanding the character, the nature, and the attributes of God does something. It shows the greatness of God and the smallness of the problem. The problems become small in comparison to a great, mighty, powerful, sovereign creator of the universe. See, as you understand him, you go, you know, this is not a fun thing that we're going to go through, but if that's all they got, that's all they got. God is bigger than that fear. If you want to start conquering fear in your life, understand who God is. Understand how powerful he is. And then understand how much he loves you, pursues you, chases after you, and saves you. At the end of the day, what's the worst thing that someone can do to you? Yeah. You're like, that's pretty bad. And then you're with Christ. See, we're talking about something temporal and something eternal. You have to understand that God is an eternal God, that we will be with him forever. And those things will become faint, distant memories. They look to scripture to remind them that God is in control of everything. There is comfort in knowing who's at the helm. There is comfort in knowing who is steering the ship. Because if it's just some rando person who has no idea what they're doing, you're going to be probably pretty fearful on a plane flight or a boat ride. Like, I don't know that guy knows how. I don't, I don't think he's old enough to drive. And yet he's driving. We're all going to die. But if you know that the creator of the universe is the one who is in control of all things, if you know that he loves you, if he knows that he cares for you, if you know that he saved you, if you know that he has a plan and a purpose for you, that brings comfort into where we are. So they applied scripture to their lives. It's so important to understand that God is speaking to us, speaking with someone this week, and we had this kind of epiphany together that God is talking to you right now, and he's communicating to you right now, and he's drawn you to a certain passage of scripture so he'll teach you, and so you will hear him. Everyone says, I want to hear God. I want to hear God. Read. You want to hear God? Read. 
living and active. It's not some dull history book that doesn't do anything. This actually penetrates our heart. It cuts to the core of who we are. It exposes our weakness and shows how we are in need of a Savior. That's good news. Five, they knew that persecution was coming for them also. They knew that persecution was coming for them also. Um, I've done adventure races and I've done triathlon. That's not me tooting a horn because I finished like really low. So it wasn't like I was doing well. But I've done a bunch of those. And you know, you, you, you do an event or something or a sport. And what do you do before games? Practice, right? You got to practice. You don't just show up to the game. Like, I'm not going to show up to where I'm like, I think I'm going to do a marathon today. Like, let's just get it. I'm good for like two miles, and I'm like, oh, my hammy, I I couldn't do it, right? I wouldn't be able to finish it. So what do we do? We run, and we train, and we practice, so we're ready to go when the race happens. We want to prepare our bodies for what's going on. You see what they're doing? They are preparing for the persecution that's coming by petitioning God, by knowing his word, by understanding his character and his nature. So when the persecution does come, they're ready to endure. Do you spend time praying to God for boldness when persecution comes? We talked about it last week. I said, hey, it may not be here in the Americas really yet, but it's coming. Are you prepared? Are you training for the persecution that would come? Are you seizing every opportunity as an opportunity to grow in boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Six, they ask God to be bold in speaking about Jesus. And this is one where I just, and you, you've heard me enough on this. I say it all the time. We are God's messengers to go out into the world and take his message forward. Be bold. Be bold knowing that we have a huge God that changes hearts And here's the thing, you're not changing people. Jesus is. Okay, you're not doing it. He's just called you to go and take the message. You're the messenger. He's the one that changes hearts. He's the one that saves men and women. But take that message. He's included us. He wants us to do that. Be bold in doing that. Pray to God like, God, help me be bold. Think about who are people that I can be praying for that I would be bold in having opportunities to speak about Jesus. Last night, my wife and I were at a big neighborhood party, and I'm just getting to meet a lot of neighbors, and we're kind of hanging out, and some know what I do, some don't, so I try not to talk about it so I can kind of have more opportunities to talk more before they shut me down. They're like, oh, pastor, well, anyway, I'm going to get some hors d'oeuvres. That's, that, it goes that way sometimes. Like, that's not right. It's not. It's not fair either. It hurts my feelings. I have feelings too you prick me, do I not bleed? <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about these individuals, and there's a guy that I met named Brandon. I'm like, I want to pray that I have more opportunities to hang out with Brandon, that I can share Jesus with Brandon. I want to get to, I met this uh, really cool old dude named Jay, and I'm like, I want to hang out with Jay more. Like, we have commonalities and things that we've done. Like, God, give me an opportunity when I walk in the neighborhood to be able to share Jesus with Jay. Like, I want to do that. Are you praying that? Seven, they did not ask for the persecution to go away. I just, they understood the gospel. They understood their savior. They understood what Jesus went through. 
What did Jesus ask when he was in the garden? Take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will. Is that our attitude as we go forward? Not my will, God, but your will. What's going to bring you the most glory? What's going to lift your name high? So they, they, they know it's coming. They pray for boldness. But when they saw Jesus, they, Jesus endured it. I got to believe that they're looking towards Christ. But how do we endure the way that our Savior endures? How can we be like our hero? How can we be like the one that loves us to the point of death? How can we emulate that in our lives? They asked for Jesus to show up and do miracles. And you're like, this is where it gets weird, Simon. Like, so we're going to start like healing people. I mean, if you can do that, that's great. I mean, just don't do it for your glory. You know what a miracle is? Someone being resurrected from death. And he does that every time he saves somebody. We got to pray for people. And we got to pray the way that Jesus did when he prayed for his enemies. <laughs> like, we always pray for those that we love and we care about, right? Oh, save my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister or my friend or my husband or my wife, whatever that means. That's great, you should. I want you to pray that. But what about the ones that you don't love? What about the ones that you're like, gosh, I wish God would take that person out of my life? You ever think maybe God has really put that person in my life very specifically? Like, we're going to get to Paul here in a few months. <laughs> He's not a nice guy. <laughs> he wasn't a sweetheart. He was, he was doing some damage. And yet God chose him to go. God can change the heart of Paul. He can change the heart of anybody in your life that you dislike, that makes you uncomfortable, that, that annoys you, that bothers you, that's rude to you, that's unkind to you, that's persecuting you. That, that's where we need to start focusing in on these things. Like, Jesus does miracles. He changes those that were, that were dead, brings them to life. He takes those that were enemies. For while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Do you see that we're just living out what Jesus did? The thing that I really love is, is point nine. They didn't wait around after all this. They just got to work. They're just like, all right, break. They finished praying and they got after it. They just kept going. It says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They just got, don't wait for next year. Don't wait for a resolution. Don't wait for next month. Don't wait for next week. Don't wait for tomorrow because we don't know what we have. Be present here today. Today is the gift that God has given you to go be about the proclaiming Jesus and his glory. That's, that's what you begin. We've been given that. Seize that opportunity. Now let me go back to the house being shaken part. Because I think it's like, it's a profound moment in what's going on. Throughout the Bible, one of the images that God gives us when he shows up on earth, and it's, it's presented as the earth shakes. There's a, there's, a, there's a few others, but that's one that comes up over and over and over again, that the earth shakes. And so um, 
Mount Sinai, when God comes down on Mount Sinai, it actually uh, might say, it says so, oh, lost my, my places. In Exodus 19, 18, the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Okay, uh, in Psalm 104, oops, sorry, Psalm 68 is where I'm at. Psalm 68, 8 says, The earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. And then in Psalm uh, 104, 104, 32 says, Who looks on the earth and it trembles? Who touches the mountains and they smoke? Judges 5, 4 through 5 says this. Lord, when you went out from Seir and when you marched from the rain of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord. That's powerful. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 10, 10. But the Lord is the true God, and he is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. I think, so, it's, it's interesting. So what's happening here is this. God is so perfect, amazing, holy, Powerful, his glory is so huge that the earth cannot physically bear the weight of God coming and being on it. Think about it. So, you ever uh, lived in a cold place and went out here anywhere else than California and it, the ice, you know, ice, it freezes water and you can go on lakes and people skate on lakes. If the ice isn't thick enough, what happens when you walk on it? It breaks, it cracks, it can't bear your weight. This is how it is with God's glory and the earth. When God comes down, it cannot bear the weight of his glory and the earth physically shakes, it cracks and it crumbles because it can't bear how powerful and amazing and holy that he is. That's what's happening. This picture that we have as he comes down and he rests on the earth, things happen. When they finished praying, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they weren't talking about being baptized in the Spirit. It wasn't their conversion. It was being filled with the Spirit that God showed up in a strong and powerful way, and the room physically shook. What was happening? God said, I am here with you. I am present. You are not alone. You have prayed for boldness. I am here now to give you the boldness to go and endure the things that are going to be coming. That's what's happening in that moment. And that's why it's so powerful that the room shook because God was present with them. Now, there's two other times that we see earth shaking when God shows up. In Matthew 27... Jesus is on the cross and he's being crucified. And it says in verse 51, this is as Jesus is dying and what's happening. 
Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. That God came down, and as he came down, he poured out his wrath and judgment on Jesus Christ. The wrath and judgment that we deserved, he poured out for all humanity on Jesus in that moment, and it shook when he died, and he took our penalty. Think about that. He shows up for our salvation and pours out his wrath on his son. We deserve that. Jesus didn't earn that. Jesus didn't deserve that. He went in our place. But you know what's great about our Savior? He didn't stay dead, did he? He didn't stay dead. And this is where we see this other earth-shaking moment in Matthew 28 too. The resurrection after the Sabbath, the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Jesus leaves the tomb and the earth shakes because He is more powerful than sin and he is more powerful than death and they could not bear the weight of our Savior's glory. That's what Jesus did that day when he died and rose again, that he conquered sin, he conquered death, that God is more glorious, more holy, more powerful than anything else in the world. Nothing can endure it. The power of the risen Jesus crushes sin and death. Don't forget that. He's bigger than what holds you from him. He's bigger than what has been done to you. See, because Jesus lives, we are able to actually face tomorrow and the trials and the difficulties that it brings, that we can push into the day knowing that Jesus is alive, and if Jesus is alive, that I will not die, that I will be with him. They can take me here, but I'll be present with the Lord immediately, and I don't have to fear that. So because Jesus lives, all the fears and all the frustrations of this world and what it can do to us, it's gone. It vanishes. It melts away in perspective into who he is. See, because Jesus is the author of life, because Jesus holds the future in his hands, all of this is part of the plan so we can step and press into the void that God's called us into. See, because Jesus lives, this life actually has meaning, it has purpose, and it is worth living every day for his glory and for his name. And anyone who calls on the name of the risen Savior will live forever also. See, this is, this is what the early church stood on. This is what they stood on for their boldness. This is what they stood on to know that they could endure those things. We need to pray for that same boldness in our lives. We need to understand that this is what we've been called to. This is the life of a Christian, what it means to live this out every day. This is what is powerful when people believe this, where they cast aside who they are and everything that would hurt them to go and pursue people that are lost. It, the world notices, the world sees. It's how God is saving the world. Do you pray for this boldness? Are you praying for this boldness? I would ask that during the next song as the band comes up, they're going to play. 
as they come up, um, we're gonna sing a song and I would just ask that you would pray this. Lord, give me boldness. Give me the ability to press in to the threats, to the harm, to all of it. Let me speak your name, Jesus, when it's hard. Let me see miracles of you saving the lives of men and women. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would, you would, give, you would give us boldness. You would give us courage. You would take away the fears of this world and all the things and know that you are bigger than all of our fears and all of our concerns and all of our anxieties. That you have conquered sin, that you have conquered death. We are, we are yours. You hold us in the palm of your hand and no one can take us from you. Lord, may we see the gospel message as life and death. May we see our risen Savior proof that our sins have been forgiven. Proof that death has no grasp on us anymore. We love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing.